Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Yes, indeed. The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. It's being powered by Shipple.com. It's S-C-H-I-P-U-L. The platform is Tendency and a whole lot more. They are an incredible marketing company and have been the backbone here of our marketing efforts on The Advertising Show for many, many, many years. Check them out at Shipple.com. George Lois, we promised... Uh, a couple of uh, a couple of weeks of uh, George here, and and really, Brad, when you think about it, you, you can't talk to George and say, okay, you got you know you got forty minutes, you got fifty minutes to chat yeah. and get it all in. It's like no, with yep. with somebody like George, you take as much time as you needed. And the the neat part of it is, everything that he talks about is is new and fresh and always fun. It's kind of like sitting across the table from an old friend or somebody you'd like to be be your old friend and just hear a whole bunch of great stories. So how are you doing this weekend? Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Just, uh, you know, first show was exciting. Looking forward to uh, talking to George again. And you're exactly right, Ray. Um, it's probably both easier and yet difficult to interview someone like George that you know so well that we've both talked with so many times over the years and yet uh it's easy in that it's you know just such an easy interview it's uh anyway you're right it's uh, it's a chat it's not an interview i look forward to round two with him here momentarily by the way if i were to say and i'd like your guess on this might surprise you but then after you hear it it might not Mm -hmm. who do you think are the two highest paid actors uh tv actors uh in today's uh television world Oh, um, how about uh, George Clooney? Well, TV actor. It would have to be somebody that had like a regular ongoing kind of series or whatever. Wow. Um, Alec Baldwin? That that probably would have been my guess as well, uh, Ray. And when I read this, it it surprised me. Yeah. Uh, Ashton Kutcher is one. Oh, okay. Really? I guess it took some money to get him to come in and do that, or he has a great uh, business manager. And John Cryer, his his co-star. Are uh, you kidding me? The two, two highest paid men. Yeah. yeah. Well, they had they had it in the budget already with Charlie uh, Sheen. So what the hey? <laughs> Twenty million each uh, for uh, annual annual salary. Really. For that you know, program, do you watch? I don't watch that show anymore. No, I don't either. I, I, you know, it was great with Charlie. It's like, why did you? Why did? Why didn't you just get rid of it? Why didn't you stop it? And I don't know. I, I shouldn't. I'm sure there's a lot of fans of, of Two and a Half Men. Uh, and the kid, I, I don't even see the kid. I saw one episode, and I don't recall seeing the kid in the episode and anymore. The kid's a PR nightmare. He went out and said, you know, oh, that's right. He, uh, yeah. that's yeah, he did uh, cause that almost. Uh, the same way that Charlie screwed up the relationship. So it, I yeah. find that very interesting, too. That's way too much money, by the way. Well, and you know, I, get, I don't know. I think uh, Charlie Sheen was making more than that, or maybe it took similar type money to uh, 
replace him. But uh, but here's the thing, Brad. There was such great chemistry between uh, Kreider and Sheen. Yeah. And they were so good together. It's like, you know, that'd be like breaking up, uh, you know, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis and then bringing in somebody else. I, I don't like it when they try to replace a chemistry of a duo yeah. With uh, with with something else, it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, for you right. as well. So I don't know. You're better off just keeping it separate, you know, or try to get it going on its own or something. I don't know. I found an interesting article here in uh, Ad Age magazine. Uh, it says uh, Subway's advertising most effective in restaurant space. This is interesting. Uh, Jared Subway's famous fans have made the chain the most effective advertising brand in the restaurant industry, according to a study by uh, restaurant consultant Technomics. Consumer brand metrics. They monitor 120 restaurant brands on more than 60 attributes, 13 of which are related to brand image, brand fit, and consumer loyalty. Uh, they they did a survey about 78,000 people, 18 and over. Uh, the study did not ask the respondents to def- to define the media, like radio, TV, or out of home, and therefore a brand's performance across these attributes reels more of a holistic view of their advertising across channels, according to the study that they say. So what they're suggesting is with endorsements, well, endorsements from celebrities play a role in Subway's success, but the advertisement that features the brand's real-life spokesman, you know, Jared, may also drive its high ratings on reliability and memorability. So it seems to me that, you know, by telling the truth and using somebody who is a, oh, a good fit, and uh, really, uh, you know, a, a, a great representative, a representative of the brand seems to be working for Subway, according to this but, survey. You know, it's interesting, Ray, and I know you've seen this as well. Jared's one of these guys that's actually, I think, where he owes and the and the brand owes their success is that he's one of these guys that have actually kept the weight off over the years, and that sends, that's I think. A solid message to the consumer. We see this program called uh, Biggest Losers. Yeah, right. And these people focus all this attention and energy in a short period of time to lose all this weight. And then when they show these people, you know, next year, the year after, invariably, they're not the same person that no. they saw when they, you know, were a finalist in the in the competition. And it's kind of sad, although... We all know that if you want to drop some weight, you got to do it long term and a little bit at, at a time. Not this. Uh, yeah. I, I don't. I can't tell you that I know of any individual, even some that have done well by way of Biggest Loser. When you see them later, no. they've still put on another. You know, at 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 the best case scenario. 20, 30 pounds, and in worst-case scenario, they're back to where they were before they started the program. Even worst-case scenario is usually those big losers end up on the opposite side. In other words, you lost 100 pounds, you now gained 100 or 150 pounds uh, over that. So you're absolutely right. That's... uh, that's not exactly a place to be, and it's eat less, exercise more is a good concept. But yet, but yet Jared, over the years, I saw him the other day on a TV spot, uh, and there he was, still as thin as ever and has not fluctuated at all. And Jared is not a hunk. He's just a nice-looking guy. He looks like the guy who could live next door. So congratulations to Subway on uh, doing a very good job of finding the exact right person and a great fit for that brand. George Lois is coming up here in just a moment. Uh, his bio calls him Master Communicator. Yes. <laughs> and he is. He really is. He's one of the most creative, prolific advertising communicators of our time <laughs> and many other people's time. Running his own ad agencies, 
He is renowned for dozens of marketing miracles that triggered innovative and populist changes in America and world culture. Uh, George Lois is a fun person to talk to, as you might have heard from last week's interview, and we continue that conversation here in just a moment. Right now, Jeremy Kent on The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Stay right here. Hello and welcome to London for the European News Desk. This week, Johnny Walker returns to TV, Samsung goes viral, and it's Golden Girl safety for Air New Zealand. The UK whisky category has been flagging recently, and in an attempt to attract a new generation of younger customers, Diageo's Johnny Walker brand is returning to television after a break of nearly 50 years. Johnny Walker is the world's number one whisky brand with annual sales of $5.8 billion, but it has a relatively small brand presence in the UK, where Diageo has concentrated its efforts on the Bells brand. From next month, the new $12 million campaign aimed at 25 to 35-year-olds will break for Johnny Walker, and it will embrace TV, cinema, online and print. The ads were created by Love rather than the brand's global lead creative agency, BBH, and star actor, Francis McGee. One commercial has already aired in Australia and will be adapted for the British market to push the serving of Johnny Walker Red Label with ginger ale and showcase the brand's new bottle. On to technology and Samsung's Galaxy smartphones and tablets have been an outstanding success in the UK and the much-anticipated Samsung Galaxy Gear has received a great reception. To accompany the widespread press coverage, Samsung has released three promotional videos that are all set to go viral. Two of the videos feature a rapid set of clips from classic TV shows with a fun take on leading characters using watches as communicators and for anything but telling the time. Stars, including the Hoff in Knight Rider and William Shatner calling the Enterprise in Star Trek, illustrate that devices once considered science fiction are now available on Main Street, and they carry the Samsung brand. The third film is an information piece, but done just a little differently. Rather than a dull how-to video, Samsung sent a crew out onto the streets of New York to show people the new device and capture their reactions as they discovered its features for themselves. Finally, staying with the US theme at the European News Desk, Award-winning American actress Betty White stars in the new safety films for Air New Zealand. The former Golden Girls star appears alongside Kevin MacLeod in the fictional Second Wind Retirement Resort for safety, old school style. It's a four-minute, tongue-in-cheek movie that puts a humorous slant on the usual seatbelts, exits and oxygen pre-flight safety message. Air New Zealand's last safety video was released back in February and featured survival expert Bear Grylls. This is Jeremy Kent at the European News Desk for The Advertising Show. Hey, Jeremy Kent, it is always great to have you here on the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. It's an update for you this week as we continue our conversation with Master Communicator George Lois. If I say Lean Cuisine, VH1, Jiffy Lube, Tommy Hilfiger, ESPN, USA Today, Bobby Kennedy, Muhammad Ali, all connected to this uh, one gentleman we're chatting with once again this week uh, on the advertising show. Hey, George, you, you had mentioned, uh, you know, you, you leaving something behind, leaving something as a representat- representation of your life, of your contribution. And certainly all of the things I just mentioned are doing that for you. But you also have the opportunity to leave a little bit of you with, with, with your children, with Luke, and, and with your grandkids. Tell me about your grandkids briefly. I, I just love to hear stories like that. Well, um, the um, the birth of my first grandson, um, uh, George. Uh, he um, he's now twenty three. Um, 
was, uh, you know, as it is with all the first grandfathers, you know, beyond thrilling. And it, to me, it was, um, it was, um, you know, one of the, um, you know, one of the almost unbelievable and exciting events of my life because um, my. Um, Luke's older brother, uh, when he was 20 years old and Luke was 14, um, um, uh, died, uh, you know, unexpectedly with uh, some heart ailment that uh, today could have been uh, figured out in a second. But, uh, you know, it was back in the, it was uh, back in 1978. And, um, and um, somehow in some very... Uh, mystical way when uh, when Luke uh, had his first son, um, uh, you know the um, the experience. Uh, you know you you can't <laughs> nobody can take the place of uh, losing a son, but um, it uh, plugged a big hole in my heart. You know, uh, and uh, uh, you know, and he's he's grown up and to be such a wonderful young kid. He. Uh, he now uh, he uh, graduated from the Tisch Film School, and he's uh, you know he's he's helping to he's producing and he's uh, and he's uh, working in the field. He's he shot uh, six commercial uh, TV, uh, uh, TV uh, commercials for me in the last uh, in the last year and a half, wow. um, and he's incredibly talented and um, he's a gentleman, uh, you know, unlike me and. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, just uh, it just I'm thrilling to be uh, to be uh, you know in his presence, you know, and, um, and, uh, and and then Luke's younger son is, is Alexander. In, uh, in in Greek, it's I call him Megas Alexandros, which means Alexander the Great. Wow, you know, and he's in uh, his second year of college and. Uh, and uh, he's studying law. Uh, he's studying uh, 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 not. He's studying uh, criminal justice. Uh, you know, um, uh, maybe he'll keep me out of jail. You know, hopefully. <laughs> um, uh, so I mean, uh, you know, uh, grand. You know, uh, two grand. I, I never had a daughter. You know, um, uh, it's always been boys. And um, but. Uh, um, but uh, you know, it's it's you know, you, you, you ch- I choke up just just thinking about them, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah. and and, and in, in, a, in a way, they oh, it always relates uh, in my uh, heart to uh, to my son who uh, who 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 died, uh, you know, uh, at such a young age, you know, yeah. and um, it, almost almost an impossible thing to handle, you know. Uh, there's no uh, there's no. Uh, there's no way uh, you can ever get over it, you know. But uh, having two uh, beautiful grandsons, uh, sure, sure, uh, helps keep you going. That's really great. Well, Thanks for telling that story. I appreciate that. And you know, my wife, who who met you at dinner last year, had just slipped me a note. She overheard your story, and the note says, "George, I'm adoptable. I've got the paperwork already uh, <laughs> going." So listen, listen, listen. Let me tell you something, Brad. Let me tell you something. I tell guys, this guys at the gym that I play with, I play with these uh, uh, you know, really great ball players, and I say, uh, and I say, look at uh, you know I'm ugly, and I know I'm ugly, but women think I'm beautiful, and that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> 
fact, you know, I'm remi- exactly. that's funny, George. I'm reminded if you do a little uh, online research, you'll see George, uh, a picture of George standing shoulder to shoulder with John Hamm. You've been an outspoken critic of Mad Men, and, and, Mad Men, and we don't want to go through all that. Uh, enough said because we, we in the business understand that that's certainly not a representation of what yeah. really happened, but yeah. yet it is an interesting uh, look back at what went on in the 60s in some ways or another, whether you want to talk about smoking on an elevator or other things, but not really representational of the, of the business. But you shared with me a story about meeting John Hamm, and I guess this is when that picture was taken. Talk a little bit about that. Well, uh, it was uh, I had uh, done uh, Tina Brown a favor, and she was doing an issue in uh, the Newsweek on the uh, on the anniversary of uh, one of the anniversaries of Mad Men, and uh, I did a, a spread on advertising, really great advertising was done at that time. And uh, she said, uh, "You got to come to the the party afterward. The the, uh, the all the Mad, all the people from Mad Men are coming. I don't want to go. Said, come, come on, George, you got to come." So I went, and. Uh, 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 the uh, the producer uh, Michael Weiner, whatever his name is, uh, was there, and he had read stuff that I said about him, and I, and actually he kind of came back on me at some in some articles, and um, he kind of called said called me like uh, somebody said the Lois somebody he said something like Lois is the, is the um, Tony Soprano of the advertising business. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> In any case, uh, so I, I was there, and there, Michael Weiner was there, and I kind of walked up to him a little bit, and I said, uh, "I said, uh, I'm George Lois." He backed up about four feet. He thought I was going to throw a punch at him. I swear to God, <laughs> I, I, he backed up. You know, uh, and I, I was more than friendly, and he said, "Oh, oh yeah, yeah," and he came closer, and he said, "You know, we based the show, we really based our show on the yeah, bullshit," you know. And anyway, I said goodbye. And then um, John Hare came up to me. I was so moved by his reaction to me because he was beyond respectful. You know, I mean, he was like in, almost in awe of me. And I realized he had read about me and probably Googled me, whatever he did. And he knew a lot about me. And um, and we became, in a, in a few short minutes, like, like pals, you know, really, I was uh, really, and then uh, other things were happening, and then as uh, Luke and I were leaving, you know, he ran up to me, you know, uh, so, uh, uh, um, and uh, he kind of said, uh, you know, he almost was kind of, apolo- he almost was kind of apologizing for the kind of person that he is on Mad Men, you know, and I, and I, and, you know, I mean, uh, you know, and I said, and I said to him, and I said, yeah, and, you know, uh, I've been married 62 years to the same woman, you know. But the other thing is, in damn good advice, uh, I have a, a spread on it, and, uh, and I, 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 and after ripping the show, I, at the end of it, I say, uh, and besides, I was better looking than John Hare, than than Don Draper in those days. <laughs> and there's a picture of me in '63, and there's a picture of, of, of Don Draper. And I swear to God, don't don't rave, yeah. don't make fun of me. And I swear to God. When these young people come up and they, I'm signing their books for them, they have sometimes some of them have it open. They said, "You were better looking than him. You were better looking than him." <laughs> 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 well, 
<laughs> but the operative word is you were. You were. <laughs> you know, visit georgelois.com if you want to see some great pictures. And, uh, yeah. and by the way, you mentioned Luke and you working together. For those that may not know, that's goodkarmacreative.com if you're interested in uh, checking out that work as well. That's a great plug, uh, Brad. Very well done. I like that. Yeah, and George, uh, final question this segment, but I think it it's worthy of a comment or two from you. Back in 62, I guess it was, uh, you began designing covers for Esquire magazine. I think it's fair to say that you are as well known for that endeavor as you are for your illustrious advertising career. And uh, I'm, I love the story, and you've told it before, but it's been many years about how the publisher or editor, editor or whoever it was was meeting with you, maybe lunch or whatever, and had this idea of you designing covers and the conversation that ensued. Uh, can you retell that, if you would, please? Sure. George? It was 62, um, and it was Harold Hayes, uh, who, who, who's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest um, editor in the history of uh, magazine, editor in the history of America. Anyway, he... he uh, he's, Called me up. We had lunch, uh, and I thought he was trying to get uh, advertising money, uh, trying to get for the magazine. Uh, but he said, uh, in a southern accent, he said, uh, "I wonder if you can help me uh, figure out how to do better covers." And I said, "Yeah." Uh, and I'd never done a magazine cover in my life, but I said, "Yeah, it's, you know, it's a graphic design problem." Yeah. And he said, uh, I said, how, how do you do t- uh, today? And he said, well, he said, uh, you know, well, first uh, we have a meeting of everybody, you know, with the, the five editors, everybody in the art department, uh, blah, 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 about seven or eight or nine of us. And we decide, we spent an hour or two deciding on what, ish, what, pe- uh, what piece in the magazine we should do a cover on. I said, yeah. And then we come back three or four days later, and each of us has an idea or two. And and we ch- choose three or four ideas, and we comp them up. And I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! What are you kidding? What, group grope?" And he said, "What do you mean group grope?" I said, "Group grope." He said, "Well, what, what else would you do?" I said, well, "You can't. Is that the way you work with um, with Gay Talese? Is that the way you work with uh, you know with uh, with Norman Mailer? I mean, well, of course not." I said, "Well, the only way to do it is." Look, if you, you know, if you had somebody there who could do it, uh, they'd be running up to you and they'd be shoving a cover in your face and say, "Look at this! Hit, look at this, Howard! Look at this!" But you obviously don't have anybody. He said, "Yeah." So what you got to do is you got to find somebody, um, you know, uh, a great graphic designer to do your covers. He said, "Well, how can it, how, how how great how can somebody else do my covers? I mean, how can anybody do? How can he understand my magazine?" Uh, I said, "What are you talking about?" I said. You know, I'm an advertising guy. A client comes to sit down with me for the first time. He could talk to me sometimes for half an hour, for, and I can figure out almost immediately in my head how I can save the guy's business or double his business. You don't think a guy like me could look at your magazine and look at what your stories and come up with a great cover? And he said, whoa. I said, uh, I said, well, let me give you some names of some people. And I started giving him some names, possibly. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, pal. You've got to do me a favor. You've got to do me one cover, because I don't know what the hell you're talking about. 
Mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'll do you one cover. Uh, what's in the next issue? Well, well, well the cover's due on Monday. Hey, okay, I'll, what's the cover that was on the Wednesday? Okay, I'll do it for that Monday. What? I said, well, let me go back to the office. No, 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 tell me now what the, tell me, you know the, you know your issue. And he starts saying, well, we've got a story on this, we've got a story on that, and he, and he, and he mentioned, and then he says, oh yeah, by the way, we have a, a spread, we have a photograph of, uh, a great photograph of uh, Floyd Patterson, we got it on the other side of Floyd, uh, Sonny Liston, uh, blah, 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 blah. So I realized, I understood that, that the upcoming fight they were going to have, the championship fight, because it was Floyd Patterson was the champ. Right. And I also knew that he, uh, Floyd Patterson was like a, was an eight to one favorite or something like that. And I also knew, it, I, I also knew that, that the Floyd Patterson was, was going to get his ass kicked. So I said, okay, I, I didn't mention anything about the, 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 uh, about doing that cover, and I, uh, I said, I'll, I'll do a, a, a cover on Monday. I walked out, and I knew, and I ran to the agency, and I called the photographer up, and I said, get me a, get me a guy who's built like uh, Floyd Patterson, you know, he's about six foot uh, one, you know, not, uh, not too much, and we're going to take a photograph, and we take a photograph of, of Floyd Patterson laying dead in the middle of a, a ring, and... The whole place is evacuated. There's nobody around. There's the hammers aren't there. The, the, the crowd's gone. The, the sports writers are gone. And uh, and what I was doing was I was calling the fight. The magazine would come out a week before the fight. Uh, it would say it would show, and, and and that's what happened. The magazine comes out. Uh, everybody in America, said, you know, all the sports writers said, "Oh my God, it's ridiculous! You know, what a terror! It's not true." And in fact, the publisher. In that issue, when it came out, had it, uh, Arnold Gingrich said, "You see that cover? We had nothing to do with it." Mm-hmm. Uh, a graphic designer by the name of George Wallace said, "We don't agree with him, believe it or not." Anyway, the cover comes out, and 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 it, they, it gets bombed. I mean, people who were there at that time told me that uh, they thought uh, they uh, that when the, when uh, the cover came out, that was the end of the magazine because they weren't making any money anyway at that time. Uh, a week later, there's a, the, the, the fight takes place. Listen, kicks you know really kicks uh, Floyd's ass, knocks him out in the first round, and all of a sudden. Uh, Esquire, it's a genius publication. They call the fight, um, and uh, and the, the sales they they run it back to the press and they printed out another four hundred thousand. It was a gigantic seller, and I continued doing the covers for, um, uh, and we went from to, they went from four hundred thousand circulation to two million circulation, and uh, and and it, the covers helped. Uh, the magazine uh, staked the claim as being the uh, uh, great, the, uh, the, the the age, the greatest, uh, the golden age of, of uh, journalism. If you had a batting average, it would be a heck of a lot better than most of the baseball players, I think, right? Oh well, geez, I, I yeah, but you know, there was at that time, there was at that time that I, I popped up, I popped up once. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I still think you got a great average. George Lois, master communicator. <laughs> we'll continue our conversation in just a minute.
You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, things go better with Coca-Cola, things go better with Coke. Life is much more fun when you're refreshed. And Coke refreshes you best. Back in 72, an autobiography, it was called George, Be Careful. And uh, let's uh, fast forward to today, uh, a little while in the future. George's latest book is Damn Good Advice for the People with Talent, uh, 120 No-Holds-Barred, and your face lessons explaining, demonstrating, explaining, demonstrating, and ultimately teaching how to unleash your potential in any creative-driven industry. Published now in six languages. You can get the English one if you'd like or whatever language you'd like. George Lois, a pleasure to be talking to you today here at the Advertising Show. Always, always a pleasure. You know, By the way, the, when we first uh, interviewed uh, George Ray many years ago, uh, in preparation for that interview, I went out and bought online George, comma, be careful. Yeah. And I got to tell you, although I'm a big fan of George's as you are, his book that was written so many years ago, his very first book, 1972, yeah. as you mentioned, uh, is really a capture of what was going on in the heyday, the golden age of advertising. And it puts you right back uh, where Mad Men never could put you. And I encourage all of our listeners to go online, and if you can find a used edition of that, uh, buy it. It'll be well worth your money. George, I've got some random questions on a personal level I'd like to ask you. and. Love to get your reaction. I know you're so bashful and shy, you'll probably not really give us your true reaction. Just joking. Uh, What is the biggest bullshit industry out there? Is Is it the advertising business? Is it entertainment? Is it the... Financial world, Wall Street. What, what do you think is the is the biggest BS category of business out there? Oh, Wall Street. Are you kidding? Wall Street. Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's not not one of them has went to jail yet. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe a couple. You know, no. I mean, ridiculous. You know, um, no. I. Uh, you know, um, uh, when you talk about the advertising industry. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, there's all kinds of bullshit that goes on in advertising. You know, but w- w- what happened though? You know, in the in the in the in the '60s when um, when I left Oil Dane and there was this great agency, and I started uh, Papa K. Lois, and and out of our agency, almost immediately when they saw that there could be more than one creative agency, you know, the Wellsridge Green came along and and, um, and Carl Alley and uh, Scally McCabe Sloat. So before you knew it, there was five or six terrific really good agencies and doing um, doing work, uh, work that didn't treat people like children and 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 and, and, and doing work that was not only entertaining but that work that people fell in love with and as, as well as falling in love with the product you know. what um, what right, right, when you talk about George be careful what's interesting as we speak is I am um, Turning George Be Careful into an e-book, uh, but the title, an, auto, an autobiography of the real madman. Mm. And under it it says, and then I show the cover, George Be Careful, you know, and, and, and the subhead was a Greek florist kid in the roughhouse world of advertising. And under it it says, written in 1972 uh, by George Lois, the true story of the riotous 1960s. So I'm, I'm doing this book on e uh, 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 on e-book. 
And it's basically telling the story from my point of view, and, uh, and, I, was, and I, I was there and I did most of it, and, uh, from my point of view of the, uh, of the creative evolution of the 60s. And, um, and I'm doing it in, on uh, an e-book right now and adding a lot of uh, visuals and a lot of uh, work in between each chapter. I mean, right, I'm doing it this second, and I think it's going to be online, uh, you know, I think uh, January or so. Oh, good. Well, I'll have to borrow my wife's Kindle and uh, definitely yeah, download it. George, truth, hard was there? It. I'm sorry. Shoot, no, it, it's very hard to find some of my book. You, it, the, the book I did, that the, the second book I did, The Art of Advertising, the uh, it's a very large book for um, that I did for Harry Abrams. Uh, one went uh, for sale on on uh, at Barnes and Noble, I think, for uh, uh, you know on, on the internet for uh, like four thousand dollars. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, I saw. I they have, they have gone up in the past ten years. I did see uh, nearly new or like new, you know, several hundreds of dollars, and I thought, well, mine isn't nearly new, but mine will eventually have a George Lois autograph in it. YouTube would someday be on PBS, right? But the people can't. The people can't buy George. George be careful. Saw one another. But the people who can't buy George, be careful. Anyway, it's an ebook coming out. It's going to be yeah. fun. That's perfect, that's, man. That, that's great. That's good advice, George. We will all wait uh, for that book. By the way, and this, I think, is a loaded question, but that's okay. Uh, Ray and I started drinking earlier before you came on. Uh, who was the most difficult or, or challenging or intimidating client you ever had? Going all the way back from Doyle Dane to forward, um, the guy with the um, the guy with the biggest reputation for being uh, a son of a bitch was uh, was Charles Revson of Revlon. Mm. I mean, there are stories that you know that float. I mean, true stories about what a mean son of a gun he was. Um, I. He, he uh, one of his people called me uh, uh, in the mid, uh, I guess in the seventies. I forgot, and um, and uh, wanted uh, and said, uh, Charles, uh, Charles, Charles, uh, is looking at your work, and he would like very much to maybe give you a product to work on. Great, you know, and of course, people around me say, "Oh my God, you can't! Are you kidding?" I said, "Well, look at um, uh, show people great work, and uh, you fight for it, and um, and um, you know, well, do you take your shots? What the hell?" And they was going to be interesting, and they give me a product called Milk Plus Six, which is uh, you know, I knew uh, it was a very popular product for three or four years uh, for a hair a hair uh, product, and. Um, I, uh, I, I, I come up with a commercial, and his, his two guys have to, have to see it first. You know, they go through everything. And, they, uh, and, I, show, and I start the commercial, and I, say, I, and, I show, and I show a lovely, beautiful young woman, very fresh-looking, fresh like a milkmaid, and she's in, the, in the, a pasture, and, and, and you hear tweeting and birds, et cetera, et cetera. And she's just as uh, as, uh, as as clean and beautiful as as can be. And she said, and she looks at the camera and she says, "Like my and she, her hair is just beautiful, flashing in the sun." She says, "Like my hair, meet my hairdresser." And the camera pull, pulls back, 
and there's a cow next to her, and the cow goes moo. <laughs> and uh, and I said, and I go through the commercial, and these guys go, whoa, don't be ridiculous. And I said, come on, you, you, you come up with a, 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 a nice joke. We come up. To, I said, no, no, that's the commercial I want to do. And I had a fight with them. And I said, look, that's the commercial I want to show Charles. And uh, they said, okay, you, you, didn't, you didn't keep this account long. And a couple of days later, I do, I do the, I, I go up there, and these two guys are sitting there, and there's Charles, and uh, we do, uh, you know, and I met him before, uh, a couple of days before, and we sh- shook hands. And he said, "What do you got, Lois?" And um, and I read the commercial, you know, and I say, "Well, you know, you're, uh, uh, you know, you like like my hair, meet my hairdresser." Moo, camera pulls back. Moo, and I don't go. And I don't say. I don't go into. I, and at that point, he yells out. He said, "I love it, milk it," and he walked out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I and I looked at these two guys and I said, "That's that's a bad client." No, that's a smart client. <laughs> yeah, you know it, it's it's interesting. I've had people ask me who's your who's your favorite client or your best client, and they assume that it's a client that lets you do whatever you want without any comment or conversation. And I know George, you like myself and others in this business that really are uh, challenged and passionate about what we do. Uh, you have much more respect for those that have a, an appreciation and a sophistication to be able to ask questions about what you're doing. And if you're a good creative, you've prepared yourself and you have answers to all those questions because you've thought about them yourself. So how would you define uh, or who would be, let's, let's do it this way, who would be, looking back on your career, one of your all-time favorite clients? Oh boy, I got so many of them. Uh, you know, um, Al Newhart, uh, USA Today, right? Wow. Um, I, uh, uh, I, I have uh, uh, Kathy Black when she was, worked for him. Uh, she was uh, and uh, had lunch with me for something or other, and she's talking about she's mentioning USA Today, and I. And what do I think of it? And I said, uh, I think they know what they're doing. You know, they they change, they're, they're they're taking that their journalism and they're making it muscly and tight and strong, and they're redoing a lot of stuff. And I think a lot of the papers in the world they got to change what they're doing now and and look less like the uh, Wall Street Journal or New York Times. Blah 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 blah. She said, Oh, oh, you really like? It? I said, Well, yeah. I mean, I do. She said, uh, uh, do you think? What do you think of doing a presentation to get the account? I said, Sure. Uh, I said, uh, give me a week, you know, something like that. So I go back and I do this whole presentation. Um, she and a couple of other people come over to see it. Uh, they're, wow, exciting as hell. Wow, fantastic, you know. Um, uh, there, there must have been 12, 15 ads. Uh, and... Uh, she makes an appointment, and I going to present it to Newhart. I go into this room; it's a gigantic room. I, my God, it must have been seventy, eighty feet. Uh, and in the middle of it, this like is a, a row of uh, tables that form a uh, a rectangle, <clears throat> um, and um, 
he sat on the one side uh, alone, and then on both sides and the other side, there were, you know, literally maybe 15, 18, 20 people from uh, USA Today. And I go into the middle of the year, like a, it's like a ring, you know, like a boxing ring. I go into the middle, I go over the tables, and I'm selling my, the campaign. I'm, and I'm going, blah, blah, I'm showing you, blah, 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 blah. And I go through the whole thing, and he says, Noir says, uh, all right, let's go around the room. What, what does everybody think? And it starts with the president of the cover. And he said, the first guy says, uh, very interesting. Uh, and the next guy says, next person says, um, uh, yeah, yeah the, okay, but uh, you know, the, the, I'm not sure. It's a little edgy, and it goes, and it gets, it gets worse and worse around the room. <laughs> One of the guys, the the the, the um, editor who came up from Washington said, uh, 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 Al, if we have to count on this. Uh, you know, uh, these, uh, uh, they, he didn't say gay. He didn't, he said, he didn't say gay, but these gay, you know, uh, a, a, a assholes from, uh, from New York to, to save our paper, you know, you know, uh, I, I'm quitting. That, that's how it went around and we got worse and worse and worse and worse. And it, then it got to the people who had originally showed it to, and I said, well, they're, they're going to fight for it. And they said, well, at least we want you to see something uh, different and interesting than, than the agency that's doing advertising now. now. That was over 20 people at this time, basically. And uh-huh. there was a pause, and I got up, and I said, well, Mr. Newhart, I've been thrown out of better places than this. And he said, sit down, while well, we sit down. <laughs> And he walked around the room, you know, you know, like like De Niro did, you know, with a baseball bat when in, in that uh, in that Goodfellas movie, in, in, you know, when he was uh, one of those untouchable movies. Un- um, anyway, like he was going to belt somebody over the head. And he walked around the room and he said, "Let me tell you what I I just saw a great presentation. Everything in it was great." And then he said, "Except I hated that air, blah blah blah." And I, and I found it quick, and I sailed it across the room, like I threw it away. And 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 and, and he and he says, it, "This this is the kind of advertising I want to do." But Lois, here's my problem: How can I fire the biggest agents in the world, which he had, uh, for the smallest, which I wasn't? But uh, he was making a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I get a lot of advertising from them. What what will people say? If I fire the biggest agents in the world for the smallest, and I said, well, I think they'd probably say that you probably got the head screwed on right. <laughs> and and he gave me the, and he gave me the account right there. Wow. Yeah. wow. And the key to what you just said, in case you missed it, was the big agency was spending a lot of money with, at that time, was risky because it was an upstart. It was a new publication. People weren't sure if the if the American consumer could, uh, media consumer could handle a national newspaper. Uh, back in those days, it was the New York Times, if you wanted to call it a national newspaper, and and it was all different than what the what they were doing at uh, USA Today back then. Oh yeah, well they they spent twenty five million dollars back then in the first year, wow. and they couldn't get a page of they, and they were they were averaging only less than two pages a day in advertising. Hmm. Uh, both they, of those uh, were coming from their agency, huh? Yeah, exactly. And 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 uh, and uh, I, 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 we ran this print campaign 
for a, a two weeks, and it, it leaped from two, an average of two to like something like 22 pages in, in two weeks' time. Uh, yeah, I did ads that, you know, uh, you know, uh, everybody was saying, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, one of the ads I did, for instance, was I had a review of from 20 or 30, 25 different um, people, including somebody in the Times who said, and all, most of them saying, oh, what, this is a garbage stuff, isn't, that, isn't journalism, blah, blah, blah. And in between it, I had like four or five reviews that said it was sensational. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I, I and that if that was one of the one of the ads where I put all the reviews in, you know, I mean, it was so edgy and so exciting and so different in what I did. It shocked everybody. But the point is, um, Aldo, I said a couple of weeks later, he said, you know what, Lois, I figured out, you know, I call you, saved, you saved my goddamn paper. Okay, 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 you saved my paper. But like, you know what, I just figured out, I didn't need you to save my paper. You know what, I figured out I could have done it another way. I said, how, how? He says, I could have sold every newspaper for $46.26. He was a great, great man. You know, everybody called the paper, you know, Mick Paper, you know, insulting it, saying that it was like a McDonald's, you know, fast food, you know, like cheap fast food, et cetera, et cetera, you know, supposedly. They were ahead of their time. How ironic that was, yeah, really. And, 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 when we get, then when they became number one, which was two years later, number one bestseller in the country, I did a, a headline that said, um, uh, first they called us McPaper, now they call us number one. And I showed it to the people there, and they said, don't show that to Al, man, but whenever he sees the word McPaper, he goes, ape, he don't not show it to him. I said, well, I'm going to show it to him. So I, I, uh, he comes in, and I show him the ad, and he said, God damn it. God damn it! On the nose! On the nose! But no, no, I got it a little bit wrong. It said on the bottom there's a line that says that the largest in body copy. It's the largest circulation of any country in America. Blah 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 blah. And he says, "Terrific, Lois." But one thing, you stupid! And he starts cursing me. I said, "Yeah." What's wrong, Al? What are you, crazy? He said, there is no America. In other words, he said, you cannot use the word America in any of his ads. And I found out afterward that it was a, it was, it was a, 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 a dictate at the, the paper that you, the word America was not, never to be used in, U, in, the, in USA Today. And, yeah. and, 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 and that's the guy who taught me something about branding, baby. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. It's a great story. I mean, nuts, man. but great, you know? Yeah, you got it. We've got uh, more to come with uh, George Lois here on the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. I know you're not going to want to miss this. His latest book is called Damn Good Advice for People with Talent, that 120 no-holds-barred-in-your-face lessons explaining, demonstrating, and ultimately teaching how to unleash your uh, potential in any creative-driven industry. You want to know what George Lois reads, what some of his favorites are, The Iliad and the Odyssey, Thoughts on Design by Paul Rand, Huckleberry Finn, and Moby Dick. And uh, we've got George Lois here on the Advertising Show. George, always a pleasure. Same here, guys. 
By the way, if you didn't know this little uh, historical factoid, George met his wife, uh, Rosemary, at Pratt College, the world-famous school for creativity and art. And uh, she was a painter then and is a painter now, and it's... uh, it's Rosemary Lewandowski-Lois, if you're interested in uh, seeing her beautiful paintings, uh, portraits, etc. You can go to Lewandowski-Lois.com or just go to, uh, uh, go to George's website or go to uh, uh, the site I had mentioned earlier, Karma. What is it, George? Karma? Good Karma. Good Karma. Good Karma Creative, yes. GoodKarmaCreative.com. And you'll see a website there that they uh, created for... Every time Rosie sold a painting, I got furious at her. Why is that? I said, I wanted them. I want to keep them. (laughs) I said, George, I have to sell my paintings. It's the only way for people to see them. I said, I don't care about other people. (laughs) I'm a schmuck, you know. Yeah, well, and if you see George's uh, home, and I've only seen pictures of it, it's like a museum in there with the artwork that you've collected over the years. George, uh, in the early days, uh, agencies were were a lot more involved in developing strategy, and I think uh, today, uh, you know, you guys functioned, and I'm just old enough to also to have functioned as a, a strategy consultant type of an individual. You didn't just take advertising and creative in and say, okay, here, somebody else, uh, some other media agency, execute the media plan and the way it's done so much sure. in uh, uh, you know, separate ways today. But uh, things were different back in the day when you worked at Doyle Dane and going forward. Uh, and it was much more of a, a relationship, I think, than it than it is today. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, uh, I mean, to tell you the truth, I still work in a similar way. And uh, you know, when when I uh, when you get an assignment, you know, you uh, and you know that you read, you know, you you t- you meet the client, and maybe before that, you. You read about them. These days, it's easy to do that to get all kinds of information. But you read about as much as you can, and and um, but um, I, 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 you know, I don't really want to hear their. I don't really want to hear or or or, or serious about their um, about their strategy about anything or about anybody's strategy. I certainly am not interested in accountants' strategy coming yeah. up with the strategy. You know. Um, you know, one of the things about all the big agencies always was that the creative people didn't get involved with anything until the client and the marketing guys got together. The marketing guy would then sit down. They would figure out a strategy statement or whatever the hell they call it, and they all would agree to it. Oh, yeah, that's terrific. Everybody says terrific. Okay, then they would go down and they would give it to a copywriter, and the copywriter would try to write something to that strategy, and then the copywriter would take it to the art director, and 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 who was sitting there with his thumb up his ass, you know, and and give it to him and they say, okay, make a layout. But that's the way the advertising was basically done. I mean, I'm to- I'm totally, I'm almost totally uninterested in what an account guy thinks about strategy or what the client thinks about it. I I I I, I get. I, I find out as much as I can about them. I want to know something about what their competition has done. Uh, just to make sure I, I, you know, I'm, 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 I do the opposite, and then I use much of my instincts and understanding of the culture, and understanding, and just being sharp about things, and I. 
create sometimes when I write a headline that I know works terrific with a visual and I get excited about it and then I look at it and I say okay what strategy was it that I used mm-hmm. and I write the strategy out of what I did and it's edgy and it's unusual and it's innovative. I mean, I almost work backwards. I don't sit down and say, I'm going to do a commercial that, or a campaign that does this. I right. sit down and I come up somehow. It seems magical, but the point is, I've always said, and I, and I say very strongly in damn good advice, I don't think I create, I create ideas. I think the ideas are there, and I have enough instinct and and sharpness to grab it as it's going by me, and I grab it with my fingers. I really have a, a, a mystical under feeling of of, uh, of the understanding of that my that my creativity is not something I, that comes out of me, but is there, and I discover it. And yeah, it, and I, we're and we're really talking about uh, when I say strategy in today's vernacular, I'm really talking about, and I think you are too, George. Uh, shepherding the the brand strategy or the brand itself and whether it's coming up with a clever and creative way to put the client's brand out there in a different way or in a noticeable way relative to uh, the campaign that you come up with. Uh, And you you mentioned back years ago, and I think they still do it today, the creative brief, so to speak. And, uh, you know, and you creative guys are supposed to, uh, we are supposed to read this that was created in a room that you were not a part of. When you watch Mad Men, Mad Men, you will see in that some of their early episodes, they began to introduce, uh, Don Draper introduces putting the copywriter with the art director, which is something that uh, Doyle Dane Birnbach, Mr. Bill Birnbach, was innovative and, and, and uh, was the actual person that came up with that whole idea, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the way it all started, the way modern advertising started is, uh, is Bill Birnbach had the luck when he was a copywriter and uh, to go to an agency called Weintraub. And working there was Paul Rand, who did uh, all backs advertising and all kinds of advertising by himself. He wrote his own copy, did his own things, very, very talented and cantankerous, you know, cantankerous, tough. Um, you know, he didn't take any crap from anybody, did wonderful work. And what Bill, and, and they, they, when he went there, they said to Bill, you know, we, we be careful with uh, Bill Birnbach, you know, if he doesn't want to work with you, just, uh, just leave him alone. But Bill was very smart and, and got to know uh, 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 Paul. And instead of injecting his ideas, he kind of said, gee, maybe your body copy should be, oh, yeah, that, that's good. And, and, be, and before you knew what they were working together, and Bill's ep- epiphany. If, was that if you can, if a copywriter, if a talented copywriter would work with a talented graphic designer, an imagist, some kind of a, a guy who knew who, who knew how what advertising was all about, you could do better advertising. You know, I, I, I said, duh, no shit. You know, I mean, I knew that when I came out of the womb. You know, but the point is, based on that, he started Doyle Dane Birnbach, and he was the luckiest guy in the world because. 
uh, he, he, he asked uh, uh, Paul Rand to co- go with him, and he said, ah, get the hell out of here. Uh, listen, there's a guy down here. He's a promotion guy, terrific. A young guy, he's got talent. And he hires, and Bill hires him, a guy named Bob Gage. And Bob Gage was a terrific art director. I call him the first modern art director. And Bob Gage worked with a, a woman by the name of Phyllis Robinson at Dorothy and back, and they did great, great work that, that, that initiated the agency and gave them their, their first uh, initial fame. That's the way it started. I mean, and it was Doyle, it, it was Bill's understanding of the art director, and Bill's almost a worship of the art director. When I worked with Bill, when you, if I went up with a copywriter to show him something we, we did, he would say, he would, this, he would not even look at the writer. He would, look, he would say to me, George, it's genius. You're great. Yeah, he really, because it was something that he couldn't do, you know, that, that, that somehow the, uh, the, 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 the art director did magic and the writer, you know, was functional in his mind in a sense in a crazy way. Uh, mm. So that, so what, what happened is the art director all of a sudden, Doyle Dane Burnback became not only just part of the uh, advertising, but a, but, a, but a powerhouse in the advertising. When I left Doyle Dane Burnback and I started Papa King Lois, my agency was called Topic Angel Lois. That was the first ad agency uh, of any note, I think, of, ever maybe, that ever had the, an art director's name in the masthead. All of a sudden, the art director, uh, the art director became king almost. You know, and in fact, in in, in some of the uh, in, in, in all the in, in many of the agencies, and then in a lot of lousy ones, the uh, people uh, they were raising salaries of art directors. All of a sudden, they became important. They weren't just a layout man. And then when the when the other creative agencies came along four or five agencies, and there were six or seven maybe by the end of the 60s, um, the art director was, uh, the, you know, almost the most important part of the, uh, uh, of, of the, of the team. If, if, I, was, I was lucky. I, was, I could always write my own headlines, you know, but, but a, a great art director could work with, uh, with, a, with a, I always say a great art director, Working with a great art writer should do great advertising. If he works with a mediocre, with a fair art director, he should write. He should do great advertising. If he works with a, a, a lousy art director, writer, it should, he should do great advertising. Anything, if, uh, whoever you work with, if an art director works with a lousy art director or no art director, or a lousy writer or no writer, he should do great advertising. Because I say the art, the art director is responsible for the advertising, and that's what I taught, teach the. And and, and and at the same time, um, he doesn't. A writer must depend on the art director, you know. But a doctor doesn't have to depend on the writer, if you know what I mean, you know. Because I've done my spent most of my career just advertising on my own. But the point is, a good a good writing a good art director writer team um, is what made what changed the world. All of a sudden. Uh, and then what happened? Even though in the, in the lousy agencies, they all had to have writing, t- uh, you know, uh, uh, art director writer teams. All of them have to have that now. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of now, and I can't let you get out of here without asking you the sixty-four thousand dollar question that you've been asked sixty-four thousand times before, uh, and that is for our young audience that may be listening in and they're out there studying advertising or considering getting into advertising or 
whatever the case may be. I, I get asked a lot, I, I, and I know you must get asked millions of times throughout your career. Uh, a young person just starting out or, or studying advertising, asking George Lois, any advice on once I get my degree, how to get my foot in the door? What, how do I get into the ad business? Boy, I got to tell you, I, I know this sounds uh, um, self-promoting, but I beg kids. I mean, I, I, when I did damn good advice, I made sure it was a, like a ten-dollar book that anybody could afford it. Yeah. I tell people, uh, young people specifically, um, that they got to not only they got to not only read my book, they got to understand every page of it. You know, I really worked my ass off on it to make sure that it was a teaching book. You know, I just came back from Minneapolis, and I and I talked to two thousand young people, and there were a couple of hundred teachers there, and they all use them. Most of them are using my book to teach them. Not only it's not only teaching them how to create advertising and how to live a creative life, but teaching them how to go ahead and how to move ahead and how to ha- handle yourself when you become when you and 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 and, and help you get into advertising. You know, you you know that, that you got to show exciting, dramatic work. You know, most advertising schools teach uh, teach kids that you have to have a professional portfolio. You know, it has to look like the ads that are in Time Magazine. I don't think so. What your what your portfolio should look like is like the, the people should look at it and say, "Holy, oh my God, poison gas!" Oh, this mm-hmm. kid's this kid's a flamethrower. Yeah. You know. Um, um, so I really, I really, I, I beg young people to to buy a lousy ten dollar book and to and, and and I'm telling you, it it will change most of their lives. I get. Email. I get at least three or four a day that say you changed my life at, from young people. Uh, uh, it's not, that, and I didn't go through that because I didn't have that kind of, um, of a problem, you know, when I was young. You know, I mean, I, I was lucky as hell to work with the, my my my. I had a great teacher who threw me out of school in my second year and said, "You you're not going to learn anymore." He gets me a job with a great woman art director, Reba Socius. Uh, I come back from from Korea and I work with Bill Golden. Then I work with, um, with the, uh, you know, you know, Herb Blue Ballin. Then I work at Doyle Dane Burnback. You know, I mean, I had, uh, you know, I, I compared to, uh, and I work with people who who really looked at my work and understood my work and, and understood what where I was coming from and understood my talent. You know, and they didn't have yeah. to fight any wars. You know, but uh, but uh, but I in this book I'm talking to normal kids who who are. Who have talent, you know, and and I and you know I I do say damn good advice for people with talent because uh, uh, if you ain't got talent, you know, don't bother reading this book. <laughs> it's a good place to start. Uh, on page 119, uh, according to Sidney Smith, a British writer, a great deal of talent is lost to the world for want of a little courage. And George writes, the courage to create only superb work through thick and thin. And fight to protect it at all cost. It's not generated in the head. It comes from your very heart and soul. George, you have a big heart and a wonderful soul. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. I love you both. Love you too, George. Go to georgelois.com. Want to find out more? Yes, you do. And that will do it for the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adage.com. 
The Advertising Show is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. And we will talk to you again soon. Why do more media professionals read IWantMedia.com? IWantMedia.com features reports from industry leaders and media personalities. IWantMedia.com gives you quick access to news, stats, trade orgs, and industry publications, and it's updated daily. Forbes says IWantMedia.com contains everything media professionals need to stay ahead of the game. The Washington Post calls it the source for the serious media geek. Do you get it? If you don't, you should. To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com.